At this time of year, the uh, interactions between ourselves and our local wildlife increase because the wildlife starts to get active as the weather warms up. One of those interactions is with snakes. So it's a great pleasure to welcome to the studio Jeff Lockwood, who is a local licensed wildlife controller and snake remover with many years experience. And uh, we will talk about the myths and we'll talk about the solutions and we'll talk about first aid as well. But thanks very much for your time, Jeff. Um, there are a lot of myths uh, about snakes, I guess, which uh, we'll try and cover at least some of. Um, but I recall a recent experience, well, it's a, now a few years ago, of being in the U.S., uh, and going to a venue where you needed to show ID, I showed my ID. He said, oh, Australia, oh, snakes. Um, <laughs> and, of course, uh, my response was, well, they're, they're not bears. They're not coming into your tent mm. thinking it's a, uh, a snack pack. Um, uh, why are we so sort of paranoid about snakes, do you think? Yeah, I think you um, did nail it to begin with. Uh, there are a lot of myths around snakes. And um, with the evolution of social media, so of some of the stories and uh, misinformation about snakes has just increased and um, get, stories get better with the telling. Uh, yes, Australia, we do boast we've got some of the world's most venomous snakes and quite a um, range of snakes, which there's a whole host of evolutionary reasons why that's the case but um, they have evolved and adapted to um, various environments in Australia and become very efficient predators which um, unfortunately that means some of them are um, quite venomous. Uh, we do have 25 of the world's most venomous snakes in Australia um, and certainly in Victoria we do have uh, probably three or four of the most venomous snakes and um, pr principally brown snakes, eastern brown snakes and also eastern tiger snakes which are particularly in the uh, West Gippsland area more so than brown snakes. They're roughly ranked about number four in the world. And yet uh, the reality is we have actually very few deaths mm. from snake bite I in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why is that? The it's quite right. Well, part of the reason they have evolved such potent venom is a lot of our um, local snakes, um, lapids, that's what's uh, the term for uh, front fang snakes, they've got a very poor venom delivery system in that their fangs are very short and they're also grooved rather than hollow, whereas uh, likes of uh, vipers and rattlesnakes have very long fangs and they are hollow like a hypodermic syringe so they can um, deliver venom very deep into their, originally their prey or inadvertently into humans. Whereas our local snakes are short grooved fangs and that's why their venom has evolved to be very potent because they don't get a lot of venom into their prey and what they do deliver to their prey has to work to immobilise and help digest their prey which uh, unfortunately humans as a mammal are also very sensitive to that venom so that's why 
Uh, they can be quite potent for humans. But, yeah, you're quite right, we do have a very low mortality rate for snake bite um, over the last 10, 15 years. It generally averages about 600 hospitalisations Australia-wide for snake bite. Uh, there might be perhaps 100 of those casualties that do need treatment and there may be only 10 to 20 fatalities per year, which is unfortunate, but it's still a very low rate. Um, part of that is our modern health systems is uh, very effective and efficient and also um, modern first aid treatments. So it really is that pressure immobilisation, um, pressure bandage treatment technique that's taught quite widely in first aid. Which we'll come back to. Um, but uh, I guess one of the things that intrigues me is that often, um, and sort of thinking about the world from the snake's point of view, when they're looking at us, we must look massively huge. So mm -hmm. it's not like they're going to be looking at us. Exactly right. They, they literally perceive us as a threat, as a very large predator. So their initial reaction is to try and escape. If they can't escape, that's really the uh, the family pets as dogs or cats. Um, and so uh, very often, uh, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that much of the interaction is, is accidental. Mm. Um, Services they do provide to help keep ecosystems healthy, but they're also very much a um, shy stealth predator, so they like that cover and not to be seen. Even big adult snakes that... Once they're adults, there's not a lot that's going to prey on them, but they still like being secluded and covered and very shy. And given the chance, they will always attempt to escape and retreat back to their shelter. Are we seeing more interactions in, in suburban areas at all, or, or uh, is that sort of something that's happening? I, I think I yeah. recall our off-air discussion you, you, you were recently yes. uh, getting some uh, snake out of somebody's bathroom yes uh, very much a lot of what we do around our gardens just creates perfect habitat and resources for snakes so um, to break it down we look at snake resources as food shelter and water if you relate that to the fire triangle if you can break up the fire triangle of fuel heat and oxygen you won't have a fire if you can break up the food, shelter, water resource triangle for snakes, they won't be as inclined to want to reside around your property. As does happen, we do have a lot of uh, shelter in the gardens we create. We also create a lot of fish ponds and other habitat features, rockeries that provide them with refuges to live in. And that vegetation and rock uh, features do provide habitat for their food resources as small mammals, rats and mice, or um, frogs and lizards or, or small birds, which they're great to have around our environment. It's just a matter of trying to break up the, that habitat structure around your property so it's not as attractive. Some people, when I do remove snakes from their property, that's it, we're moving into town. And it is really a case of, well, tell me whereabouts you're going to move to and I'll tell you how many snakes are being removed from that area because they are right 
in amongst where we live in the, the local townships. Um, also, uh, uh, listeners won't know, but uh, you have uh, helped us uh, on a couple of occasions uh, remove snakes that we thought were a bit too uh, friendly, um, and uh, that caused us to con- have a conversation about the so-called snake repellents, mm-hmm. um, one of which apparently includes um, lavender oil, and in fact, you were removing a snake from in amongst yeah. a lavender bed. Yeah, exactly right. That was a um, bit of a gimmick that was being um, marketed, I suppose you'd say, in other areas of Victoria some years ago, where there was a snake repellent spray being um, just offered to landowners, which was predominantly 50% lavender oil. And yes, I, I was looking and catching a very nice, healthy tiger snake out of a lavender bush in your garden at the time. Um, so it doesn't really have a lot of benefit. Um, I have heard other um, recommendations from people that they've picked up on social media or somewhere, uh, various herbs and bushes that the scent and aroma may help it deter snakes. What that may do is deter some of their prey items. So if the prey aren't about, the snakes aren't going to be attracted and wanting to hang around. The other question I regularly get asked from people is do the commercial snake repellers work? Um, Short answer is, I say to people, is if I was confident that they would work, I would have some in the car that I'd be offering to sell to people. Because ultimately, I just don't want people killing snakes they are protected wildlife and they're very valuable in the environment i haven't seen any independent studies about the um the commercial repellers and most years i might be removing snakes from properties and the snakes could be living right beneath the repellers in some instance or traveling past them or basking right beside them at various times it's a very controversial subject a lot of people swear by snake repellers and that's often they'll have an incidental encounter with a snake wandering through their property they react they see the snake they get the repellers they don't see another snake for some years so they think oh gee the snake repellers are fantastic you may get a lot of feedback from the from the listeners about that pool we should before we we wind up uh, speak about the the first aid people who've done the courses will will know this already but mm. uh, and i even saw again on on a commercial media news um that the uh, pressure bandage process um, is to slow the blood flow mm. in fact it's not anything to do with the blood flow it's to do with uh what's the other system the lymphatic system the that's lymphatic right. system yeah. that's it yes yeah um so uh, we better describe what, what you should do in, yep. if you do happen to be bitten. Yep. Okay. Well, to even take it uh, a step further back, first step is don't get bitten in the first place. <laughs> yes. So there are opportunities when you're doing gardening or picking your fruit and vegetables, even just having, and I usually recommend a leaf rake, it's a nice wide garden implement, if you just rustle around in the bushes and even in the trees because yeah, snakes do climb and tiger snakes are very adaptable, they will get up quite high. So if you just rustle around in the bushes, 
if you're weeding or picking fruit or vegetables, before you start putting your hands into a concealed area, the snakes, if there happens to be one present, it will just try and disappear. If it does feel threatened and it wants to get back to its refuge, which may be behind you, you've got that leaf rake there and you can just use that, place it down on the ground between you and the snake as it's trying to escape past you and that way you can just deflect it away from you and avoid being bitten. So first aid, doctor's ABC, well that's the doctor's, that's the D, danger. Um, in the event that you do get bitten, yes, it is very much the recommended technique is pressure, pressure immobilisation bandaging. So certainly start bandaging over the bite site and fully bandage up the limb. Most snake bites are on the hands, arms, legs or feet, so it's on the limbs and the extremities. So by applying a pressure immobilisation bandage, and you usually um, apply the pressure to what you would for a sprained ankle. Uh, that's going to help retain the venom in that limb, in the lymph system. You mentioned earlier the, uh, the blood system and the lymphatic system. So most snake bites in Australia, with our short-fanged lapid snakes, the venom's going to be in the outer tissue of the limb and that's where it gets moved around and transported through the body via the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system requires muscle movement and movement of the limb to circulate back to the lymph glands and then further into the body. So by reducing that amount of movement by the immobilisation, that's going to help contain the venom in the limb until you do get to a hospital. So that, that's why it has been found probably since about the 1970s to be the most effective way for um, preventing injury or death from snakebite in Australia. Uh, and uh, as you, you sort of implied there, that the, those uh, um, pressure bandages uh, are s that are slightly flexible uh, have more uses than, than just for snake bites. So it's not mm. a great strain to, to have one around the place. Um, yep. uh, most uh, good uh, first aid kits will, will yep. now have them about the place. And, yep. it, uh, and I guess that immobilisation or that, the, the slowing of movement is why that very difficult recommendation of staying calm is, mm. <laughs> is the other yep. thing. Um, and those, I believe it's been proved that the, those uh, bandages can mean that people can then have hours rather than minutes to, to get to to uh, to hospital. So it really yeah. does make a huge difference. Yeah, I can't comment on the time frame. And usually when people do ask, how long have I got if I do get bitten by a snake? The straight answer is, I don't know. People may be allergic to snake venom. After all, it's a wonderful cocktail of enzymes and proteins and people can be allergic to proteins. Anaphylaxis. Um, so really can't say how long or how much venom the snake does deliver at the time, but by applying the immobilisation manage, lying down, staying still, getting help to come to you rather than you going to get help, provides you with the highest probability of a good outcome. 
Uh, and of course, we also need to comment, I guess, that because of the way that you've described that the, they deliver the, the poison, um, it won't necessarily enter the, the wound, won't even get into the body. Mm. And often um, there are what are they called dry bites. Uh, yep. Effectively, the, there's no poison a, at all. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. They may just give a tap. I did get some um, very brief video footage some years ago of a um, Eastern Tiger snake quite annoyed with my presence and it did strike out from underneath the log where it was and did a very obvious hiss like they do. They're quite distinctive. But by slowing the video down and looking at it very closely, even though it did strike out at me, it didn't even open its mouth. It was literally just a threat. Go away, leave me alone. I want to... This is your warning. And that's often what they will do. They might just give a tap or a bump without even opening their mouth. Um, it may just be a brief scratch. If you're wearing uh, long pants or leather boots, runners, they may not even be able to penetrate through the clothing. But... Obviously, if you did see the snake strike at you and you thought you had been bitten, or certainly if a member of the family, children, do say that they've been bitten by a snake, you would treat it seriously first off and find out afterwards that it was a good outcome, that nothing had happened, it was just a dry bite or or they hadn't even struck, rather than finding out once the... Um, symptoms have presented that the person is a casualty and at risk of a very bad outcome. And just in case, the last myth let's deal with, we don't do cuts, we don't do sucking, no. we, 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 we leave the whole thing alone, just yep. bandage and head to the hospital. Yeah, exactly right. Um, there's a whole range and some presentations I do to our community groups do go through the, the historical first aid treatments and um, yeah, the idea of um, cut and suck is completely not recommended. Um, one, you've got a casualty, they're already stressed out, they've potentially been bitten by a venomous snake and then you're st going to start taking to them with a sharp knife and um, cutting them, so that's going to increase the stress levels. The other issue is, even if the venom's on the casualty skin if you start sucking that venom with your mouth and you've got the slightest cut or lesion around your a cracked lip or even just a break in your gums you're then the casualty they mightn't have any venom in their body but by what you have just done if you've got a break in the skin you're the casualty so that's definitely not recommended um, tourniquets up until about the 19 70s when um, Commonwealth Serum Laboratories and Professor Strawn Sutherland developed and um, instigated the pressure immobilisation technique. Prior to that, tourniquets was the or were, was the go-to treatment. It was found that that's basically causing tissue death in the limb because you're breaking up um, the blood flow and the circulation. And then after the time frame that it was recommended to then release the tourniquet you're not only releasing a whole lot of lymph and venom further into the patient's circulatory system you're also releasing all the toxins that have been created by cells dying from the lack of 
blood flow and oxygen. So it's really creating a whole lot of bad issues for the casualty. Jeff, um, we've uh, gone for a while and I'm sure there are more wrinkles that, um, that uh, we could think of, but uh, mm-hmm. that's been a very comprehensive coverage and I greatly appreciate it. Thanks very much. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll say we're, we're happy to hit receive uh, information from people or mm-hmm. even questions and we might refer them back to you if, if we get different questions. Yeah, certainly. Oh, thanks.